the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we take a journey back in time and we go back and look at the finer days of professional wrestling. We go back and look at the glory days, if you will, to some of us, the New Generation era of the WWF course personal favorite of mine absolutely uh i can tell you that this episode today uh talking about a night to remember the final show in the history of the boston garden from may 13th 1995 is a show that i have been looking for for quite a long time uh we've talked about bootlegs we've talked about uh house show recordings we talked to uh, someone who recorded a house show back in the day when it was not exactly what we would call legal, but nonetheless, uh, people were able to get it done in the uh, the old days. Uh, this show um, emanating again from the Boston Garden, the legendary venue in the history of the New York Territory, the Vince McMahon Senior Territory, as well as Vince McMahon Jr., the WWWF and the WWF uh, mainstays in the Northeast, of course, the Boston Garden being that upper northern territory that they would hit uh, right before you'd get to those uh, little outreached areas a little bit further uh, than Boston. But this was the biggie. This was your Mecca if you were in that New England area. And I want to talk about some of the history of the Boston Garden here in the new generation era. Now, if we go back to the glory days, we go back to the 1980s. You got a ton of Boston Garden uh, content on a semi-regular basis, similar to the MSG and the Madison Square Garden Network. Uh, Nesson, the New England Sports Network, would broadcast house show matches from the Boston Garden, usually called by Gorilla Monsoon and Lord Alfred Hayes, or sometimes Mean Gene, and sometimes you get a heel sitting in like a Jimmy Hart or Johnny Valiant, uh, or even the, the great Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty, uh, he would sit in on commentary for some shows, but this was a venue that over time, it's kind of weird. It just, um, they stopped running it as regularly as they did. They literally used to run it every month, uh, up to about, uh, mid 1992 where they would skip every other month and maybe then it go two months before they would head back. And then by the time we got to uh, the new generation era, not even nearly as many times uh, as they would run in the past. Uh, if you go back to our new generation timeline, you know, and I like to start it around the time of Monday Night Raw, the actual week before Monday Night Raw took place uh, from the, uh, the Manhattan Center, um, they had a 60-minute Ironman match main event between Bret Hart and Ric Flair. I believe we actually did talk about this match uh, once before, but... WWF, uh, the Boston Garden, January 9th, 1993, a mere 5,800 inside of the Boston Garden, not even close to some of the crowds that they would see 
even a few years earlier in the uh, in the heyday during the uh, you know during the Hogan era where they were getting in that nine to ten thousand uh, range regularly for a house show. Uh, but as the card started to get a little leaner and the stars started to get a little less uh, you know glamorous, we would see the crowds really start to shrink, and that might be one of the reasons why they started to scale back on these live events in the Boston Garden, um, which kind of sucks because, you know, when I think about growing up and I think about the Boston Garden, I also think about the Philadelphia Spectrum and I think about the Rosemont Horizon. I think about Madison Square Garden, the Meadowlands, the Nassau Coliseum. You know, I think of the Sundome down in Tampa. I think of uh, the L.A. Sports Arena out in Los Angeles. You know, I had the Market Square Arena in, in Indianapolis, Joe Lewis in Detroit these great iconic venues uh, that have storied histories, but unfortunately once they hit a certain age start to really, you know, not fit the needs of the sports teams that they usually house. And in this instance, the Boston garden, you know, you have the fabled Boston Bruins as well as the Boston Celtics who were very good in that building. And there's many a banner that sat atop the Boston garden because it had such a unique look to it. You know, when I think about, during those Celtics games with how the floor looked in Boston, it just looked different than the other hardwood that they would have. There was a different design to it that just stood out so much. And, you know, those Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale, Boston Celtics of the eighties, it's just such an iconic uh, group that the wrestling that went along with it in the eighties was perfect. You know, Hulk Hogan and the macho man, and some of the wars that they had, you know, you saw your uh, Intercontinental Championship title change between Tito Santana and the Macho Man, giving him his first WWF gold. Um, but, you know, here we are, speed up, you know, eight years in, in 1993, and we've got, you know, 5,800 people uh, in, a, in a big venue like, like a Boston Garden. Just kind of sad, you know, it's really not um, how you want to see it go out. But I'll tell you exactly how. Uh, I came to think about this show. Uh, there's a there's a group I'm in on Facebook. Uh, that's a WWF promo photo, uh, basically collectible shrine, and people buy and sell these promos. They're the publicity uh, photos that the WWF would issue to the newspapers or, or meet and greets. And these are the photos that have become so collectible over the years that they're some of them are topping into the you know four figures for some of the rare uh, publicity shots that did not really see the light of day or were, you know, maybe given out in a small quantity to the actual uh, wrestlers and never really circulated out there. And this group of diehard, I mean, absolutely diehard collectors that's in this uh, promo group. I mean, they, I see stuff with them that I've never seen before. And it's unbelievable. Uh, the amazing, stuff that they they passed through and one of the things that i saw that went through was a uh boston garden program for this show that we're talking about here today spotlighting the night to remember from 1995 uh, may 13th 1995 so we just passed this anniversary not too long ago and it was such a cool presentation because the theme of the program is the new generation and how inside of the program that yes even though this venue has this unbelievable uh history and these amazing uh iconic figures that have passed through the curtain yes they had their day but now it's on to the next phase it's on to 
the the next generation, the new generation in our case, uh, to carry the baton into the future, which, you know, some of these guys absolutely did. We'll run down the card here in a minute. But, you know, this is just it was a, a really great idea on paper for the WWF to do something like this. Um, they did a similar style event in 1987 at the Meadowlands honoring legends of the past. Wasn't specific to the Meadowlands, obviously, because the Meadowlands was still fairly new at that point, probably only about five years old. But they brought back guys from the past. There was a battle royal. It's actually very famous if you know the story. This is where the Macho Man kind of started to get some heat with guys behind the scenes because they felt that they were having a Legends Battle Royal. They didn't invite his dad, and that was a point of contention for uh, many, many years in the eyes of the Macho Man. Uh, but at this show, 1995, uh, the final show at the Boston Garden for the WWF, it would close uh, not terribly long after that. And I just, and this is another thing I wanted to tie in here. I just found a YouTube video um, of a ceremony that was in pre-production. Uh, it actually closed September 28th. So a few months down the road, but for the last time at the WWF, you know, in May, they had a couple months to go. Uh, a fascinating, fascinating find of a TV cameraman who documented the pre-production of the final ceremonies of the Boston Garden. And he was actually uh, like a peanut vendor back in the day for the Bruins. And he was kind of walking around doing a, um, a tour of the venue and kind of hitting his old stops. And just amazing to see what the venue looked like when there was nothing in it except for like chairs and a stage for this closing ceremony. Um, I, I sometimes even, you know, think it's hard to believe it was even gone. Um, the final event of the Boston Garden occurred September 29th, 1995. It was a farewell event. Like I said, it was done by WBZ TV and um, yeah, it's, uh, attended by CBS national news anchor, Dan rather attendees included Bruin legends such as Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito, as well as Celtic greats, Larry bird and red Auerbach. The ceremony concluded with the release of thousands of balloons into the rafters to the music of the Boston pops. The Boston Globe stated that all New England has lost a friend. The garden sat vacant for three years before it was demolished in 1998. The site where the building once stood is currently under construction for a commercial development known as the Hub on Causeway, which is a hideous, hideous looking building. And it actually was completed in 2021. Uh, it does have an MTA, uh, MBTA subway and commuter rail station. Uh, which is what did link you into the Boston Garden, very similar to how the uh, Penn Station has the subways and the uh, New Jersey Transit coming in and out uh, right adjacent to it. Uh, but yeah, just, you know, so crazy um, and when a venue like this goes away. Um, it's so sad. You know, it just it, it was tough to uh, remember reading it in WWF magazine that it was the final event. Um, they had a little blurb about it. And there, it's just gone, just in a whimper. But, you know, look, we uh, then made way for the TD Gardens in Boston, which is where WrestleMania 14 would take place only a few years later. And obviously, WrestleMania 14, I mean, God, 1998, the three-year difference between 95 and 98, it's like a completely different company. And, you know, the Austin era beginning that night, uh, Mike Tyson, you know, the last time we saw Shawn Michaels wrestle for four years on uh, WWF programming, I mean, an iconic event and a huge and monumental 
uh, occurrence in WWF, uh, you know, lore and in the timeline. But, you know, it's hard to believe. 95, only three years earlier, we're closing down the Boston Garden with the main event of the world champion Diesel pinning Psycho Sid with a power bomb at six minutes and 25 seconds with one of the dignitaries serving as the guest ring announcer for the bout. And it's a guy who spent many a nights at the commentary booth as well as in the ring at the Boston Garden. And it was the great Gorilla Monsoon. So Kevin Nash, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, main event in this show. It was his company. He was the champ, the new generation uh, running on diesel power. But let's look at the rest of the uh, the, the card if you uh, will be so inclined to listen to me speak a little bit more. We've got the Bushwhackers accompanied to the ring by their great Australian friend, Mr. Tony Gurria, defeating the Heavenly Bodies at 7 minutes and 32 seconds with a small package. Uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley pins Phil Apollo at 6 minutes and 38 seconds. This is a homecoming of sorts for Hunter Hearst Helmsley, as we talked about in the early days of Triple H episode not too long ago. Uh, Man Mountain Rock defeats Quang with Harvey Whippleman via submission at 1 minute and 39 seconds with an armbar. Uh, the Roadie, a.k.a. The Road Dog, pins Bob Holly, who was subbing for the 1-2-3 Kid, after hooking the tights for leverage. How about this for your intermission main event? Brett, the Hitman Hart, and Davey Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, defeat Hakushi and Jerry Lawler at 11 minutes and 36 seconds when Brett forced Lawler to submit to the sharpshooter. So that's a hell of an intermission main event, without a doubt. Uh, the WWF Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett defeats Razor Ramon in a ladder match. Razor grabbed the title belt, but the referee was knocked out. The roadie attacked Razor, handed the belt to Jarrett to show the ref, and he retained the title. Uh, their star power and stipulation matches and a ladder match of, to to boot on this uh, this show. Jacob and Eli Blue, otherwise known as the Harris Brothers, defeat the New Head Shrinkers with Captain Lou. The New Head Shrinkers, of course, being Fatu and the Barbarian, now repackaged as Sioni, his real name. Uh, when Fatu was pinned after the Blues switched place, they did the old twin magic. Uh, but this, you get the Undertaker on this card, pinning Kama at 13 minutes and 25 seconds with a tombstone pile driver. And then in the semi-main event, right underneath that Diesel and Psycho Sid match, the other half of the King of the Ring 1995 main event, which is only a month away from this show. Bam Bam Bigelow with Chief J Strongbow pins Tatanka at 10 minutes and 9 seconds with a sunset flip off the top rope. DiBiase, Ted DiBiase, was in Tatanka's corner for much of the bout until he was chased backstage by Nikolai Volkov late in the contest. Now, Nikolai Volkov was part of the crew that was being honored at the Boston Garden as the legends of the past. So we already heard Tony Guerrero was on the show. I mentioned the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty, George the Animal Steel, who was an agent at the time. Uh, Angelo Savaldi, who would have just come uh, up from uh, New York there to uh, the Boston Garden. Uh, the great Arnold Scoland, who was also acting as an agent at the time. Pat Patterson, also an agent at the time. Killer Kowalski, obviously we know Mr. Kowalski was uh, setting the uh, foundation, if you will, for the stars of the future, uh, including former guest, uh, the coach, Mike Hollow. Uh, Chief J. Strongbow working backstage, Gorilla Monsoon, Nikolai Volkov, and even an appearance 
by Vince McMahon himself, who was honoring his family's history in the Boston Garden. You know, that's a pretty damn good card. And again, I question everything about King of the Ring 1995. That's the King of the Ring show they should have put out. If that's the King of the Ring show they put out only a month later, we wouldn't have we would have changed history. We wouldn't have half the hate for that summer spectacular that we have now with how bad King of the Ring 95 is. So on the show, noticeably, there's no Shawn Michaels. Okay, so that's one guy who's not around. But you got Brett, you got Diesel, you got Razor Ramon, you've got The Undertaker, you got The Bulldog. Lex Luger not on this show, you know, so that shows you how far he's fallen. He's technically not gone yet. Uh, who else? The Tag Team Champions, the Smoking Guns are not on this show. So uh, Yokozuna, Owen Hart, not on this show. I'd have to go back and look. There might have been another show going on this night for all I know. I have to go and uh, kind of research it. But, I mean, it's pretty loaded, you know, and you don't have a lot of bad finishes. You don't have a lot of DQs. You have guys actually beating other guys clean, you know, a sunset flip off the top, submitting to the sharpshooter, you know, uh, this, you know, rolling up with a small package. You don't have a ton of DQs. You have a submission from Man Mountain Rock of all uh, folks on the great Quang, who was Savio Vega. Uh, this is a great card. You know, I just shudder to think what they could have done on other pay-per-views during this time. Uh, let's just move back one month. Or excuse me, two months. Back to March 1995, the previous event uh, to this one, Eric Watts and Chad Fortune, obviously known as Techno Team 2000, defeat Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Del Rey. Henry Godwin defeats Barry Horowitz. Uh, the Smoking Gun defeats Tatanka and Kama. Bob Backlund defeats Adam Baum. Diesel and Razor Ramon defeat Shawn Michaels and Jeff Jarrett. That's a hell of a match. When Psycho Sid attacked Diesel, both Razor and Jarrett were injured midway through the match and were helped to the back after the match. Uh, the Undertaker made the save for Diesel. You know, I think I might have actually seen this show, or they did that match in another location, because I've seen a finish that is exactly like that, where the Undertaker is the one that makes the save. And in March, we're on the, around the WrestleMania time, Undertaker defeats Bam Bam Bigelow via countout. Brett and Davey teaming again, defeat Owen Hart and Jerry Lawler. When Davy Boy Smith pinned Owen Hart with a roll up, uh, Hakushi pinned Scotty Tuhati, who was subbing for the one, two, three kid who was out at the time with an injury. So, I mean, not a terrible card, but, you know, also not great. I think that one for the night to remember is uh, phenomenal compared to this one. Uh, the previous month, they were canceled due to a snowstorm, and that was February 4th, 1995. And then they didn't come back from February. They You have to go all the way back to. Uh, November 1994 for their previous uh, show where, I mean, let's run down this card. The Bushwhackers defeat Well Done. Bam Bam Bigelow defeats Adam Bomb. Jerry Lawler defeats Doink the Clown. Lex Luger and Tatanka fought to a double countout. Alundra Blaze and Heidi Lee Morgan defeated Bull Nakano and Luna Vachon. Razor Ramon defeated Owen Hart and The Undertaker defeat, defeated IRS. Wow, what a stinker that was. The 5,000 fans in attendance. That is unbelievable. Oh, let me point out to the March show. It says 3,200 paid. And that is a absolute dreadful, dreadful uh, number for the WWF. And you only have to go back to November 24th, 1993. The last sellout. Survivor Series, 1993. 15,509 paid attendance. 
for this show, a complete sellout of the Boston Garden. I mean, look at that. To go from 15,000 in November uh, 1993 to January 1994, 4,500 for a main event of Lex Luger and Tatanka defeating Yokozuna and Quang. This is, uh, yeah, this is quite the uh, fall from grace, you know, and this is why people think this era was so down and out. And this is why people hate on the new generation. So it's kind of crazy, you know, it's not the kind of um, show you think is um, going to really, you know, move the needle. Um, but Survivor Series 93 is is a powerhouse card, you know, it's it's a great one of my favorites. I reviewed it last year. It was a phenomenal uh, show to go back. I ranked it as uh, one of the top of the era. But, you know, look how far they fell after that. Maybe it was when they saw Santa Claus come out and celebrate with Lex Luger at the end of the show that people were like, well, we ain't coming back in February when they're back here. No, excuse me, in January, January 29th. You know, I mean, I would love to see the Adam Bomb Rick Martell match, but that's just my psychosis uh, and my love for uh, the model Rick Martell. Uh, just to move back up or backwards in the timeline, you know, here's one December 5th, 1992. So the lead in to our new generation era, 2,400 paid on December 5th, 1992. Main event, Shawn Michaels, the Intercontinental Champion, taking on Marty Jannetty. Okay, that's the main event. The mid-card main event, Bret Hart and Ric Flair. That's unbelievable. 2,400 paid for that kind of card. Let's look at the rest of it. Skinner defeats Jim Powers. Okay, opening match. You can't do anything about it. They're not all going to be um, main events. Uh, the Head Shrinkers defeat the Natural Disasters. Not terrible. Jim Duggan subbing for the Ultimate Warrior fights nails to a no contest. Okay, that was probably a clunker and not that great. Rick Martell pins Virgil. Very nice. Max Moon defeats the Repo Man. All right, could have skipped that one. And Shaw, yeah, Shaw, I mean, that Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty and Bret Hart and Ric Flair, that's the admission alone, but 2,400 people. That's, that's gotta be the lowest. I mean, let me just look back here in the timeline. Oh my goodness. So if you went back to see there's, that's the lowest they, they had to have drawn. There's no other numbers I'm seeing that are even close to it. So their sellout at the survivor series is in November, 1993. The previous sellout was January 92, 15,000 main event. Rowdy Roddy Piper subbing for Bret Hart, teaming with the Legion of Doom to defeat the IC champion, the Mountie, and the Natural Disasters at 16 minutes. Wow. Chris Walker pins Cato. David Boy Smith pins the Berserker. Hogan and Flair on this one. My goodness. So uh, it's a tale of two venues. You either had great powerhouse cards and sellout or nobody in the building and just dreadful, dreadful shows. This one here, February 4th, 95, the one canceled due to a snowstorm. Yeah. I'd like to see if that's the truth or if the ticket sales were just so abysmal that they decided to call it quits because I could see that absolutely happening uh, at the rate that they were going at with some of these attendance numbers. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the Facebook group that I was talking about. It's called Promo Photo Mania. It's run by a, a gentleman in the New England area named Joseph Bruin, who uh, has just an absolutely amazing collection of uh, promos, rare promos, promos I've never seen before that are getting sent to signings all over the country. 
Uh, he's also involved with the New England Fan Fest. He's done interviews for the indie shows in the New England area. He just seemed to be anywhere and everywhere the WWF was in that era. And uh, I am absolutely stealing the copy of the uh, cover here to help for my uh, graphic to open up this show because this is uh, this is just unbelievable. This new generation one. I got to use this, you know, inside when you open up this program, you got Jeff Jarrett, you got Brett, you got Undertaker, you got the kid, Hakushi, Sid, Luger, British Bulldog, Lawler, Tatanka, Razor, Diesel and Shawn Michaels. That's who I guess we're thinking of. If we, if we were to make a list of the top guys of this era, you know, maybe you sub in a Yoko Zuna, who's a multiple time champion, uh, maybe over a Hakushi. But besides that, I mean, these are the guys that built this era. You know, they all had their own respective giant roles that they played again, minus Hakushi, who wasn't really utilized the way that he could have. Um, but, you know, we got almost everybody is a title holder at some point. You know, the one, two, three kid has the iconic moment of uh, defeating Scott Hall. You know, even Lawler and the iconic feud with Brett. You know, he's got the feud with Piper. He's got the feud with uh, Brett again. He's got so many amazing one-liners, and he's involved with so much. And a heel in the New York territory and in Memphis, he's still a hero. You know, you got the Bulldog coming back. Then he turns heel. You got Tatanka, the ultimate baby face in 93. And then by the time 95, he's uh, here 94, he's a heel for some reason. And he kind of fizzled out, but he played a big role in the new generation. You know, the undertaker built his mystique and his, his phenom status during this era. Brett was the King. Diesel was the diesel power. Razor Ramon was obviously in a class by himself and Shawn Michaels. Sid too. Sid is the world champion in 96. One of the most over guys in the company. And it's uh, it's pretty crazy. You know, that this group of, of folks that are looked at for the down era really didn't do a bad job. And it was just the timing of the business. And that's a shame because I think a lot of people missed out on a lot of great WWF action. And this show for sure, if it's on one of these bootlegs, if it's on some sort of media, I would love to see it because uh, I'm a sucker for the old school when it comes to this kind of stuff. And I'm not going to call it lost media because I'm sure WWF has it or WWE has it on some sort of uh, archived video, but it's just something that you question why the hell have they not released something so iconic like the last show at the Boston garden or how is it not on like the USA network just for a one night only deal to show us what it was like when a building of that magnitude goes away because when they go away, they're gone and they're not coming back. And that's the shame. You know, I know Madison Square Garden is still around. It's just not the same. They've renovated it. It's lost its mystique. And it's not really the same kind of venue that it once was. And, you know, even though you're going to Madison Square Garden, it's just it's it's just your generic style of, uh, you know, it's just your generic, I don't know, arena now. It's not anything super duper special. So that's unfortunate, but I guess, you know, it is what it is when you're dealing with uh, the evolution of amenities and, you know, players want certain things and, you know, these uh, uh, teams give it to them by upgrading their facilities. And in this case, you know, of Madison square garden, it was up, it was updated definitely, but maybe it lost a little bit of that mystique as well in the, uh, in the process, which, you know, again, it happens, but, 
you don't have to love it. It just it's a part of uh, what goes on in the uh, inner workings of running a, a world class facility that houses sports teams. And in the case of the Boston Garden, the Celtics and the, the Bruins. And you can't uh, deny some of the amazing history of the Bruins and the Celtics in that uh, venue. Just an unbelievable structure. Uh, farewell to the Boston garden. Um, if you had the chance to go there and you want to drop a comment, I'd love to hear from you. If you always wanted to go there, let me know if you've been to places like the TD gardens, let me know. Um, you know, again, I just think about those banners hanging from the rafters. I think about, uh, that, you know, the ice, the like, yellowish tint to the seats, uh, on the house shows of the WWF, how they would enter, you know, basically through the main hard cam, entryway that was in the distance you know when you go back to the hogan days and you know real american plane or i of the tiger plane and the crowd and just the outpouring of love um it's a shame when those go away but that is just the way the cookie crumbles so head over to that facebook group promo photo mania take a look at the new generation uh night to remember program that they've gotten there. I want to see what's the price they got on this bad boy. They are selling this for $109 in very good condition. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's one for your rando new generation catalog. So we will get out of here for this week. We will catch you for the next installment of new generation declassified uh, if you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on Twitter. It's at IB exclusives on Instagram, head over to ibexclusives.com and check out some of the latest signings that I have on my signing schedule and support us here at the TMPT empire going strong, heading into, you know, another, uh, great era of TMPT empire podcasting. I'm sure, uh, follow all the great shows John has on the TMPT empire podcast feed. And uh, you won't be disappointed. That's for damn sure. So I'm going to get out of here for this week. I appreciate everybody for listening. And I will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.